Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. Y'all ready to get into the Word? All right, turn to a neighbor, give him a high five, and say, hey, friend. Turn to another neighbor, give him a high five, and say, you're just an acquaintance. All right. Real quick, I need you to yell out, all right, Thanksgiving was just two weeks ago. I love Thanksgiving. I do admit I am the one that'd be willing to skip Thanksgiving. Anyone say yeah? Anybody? Anybody? I'd skip it. Do you know what I'm saying? The minute, the minute uh, maybe not, I won't say Halloween, you know, what a, that season, the minute that's over, I got jingle bells on, you know what I mean? I do. I do. We decorated our house on whatever the day after Thanksgiving was. We got our tree, we decorated everything, all right, and I've had that on since, but I want to back up because I need to, I need to address something serious, all right? So on the count of three, what I need you to do is I need you to just yell out your favorite Thanksgiving food, okay? Just one, just one, all right? Here we go. One, two, three. If you didn't say stuffing, everybody stand and leave, okay? I need you to go home because that's heresy, all right? Let me tell you real quick about stuffing, okay? I would skip everything for stuffing. If you took the turkey and replaced it with a mound of stuffing, I'm coming to your house. Here's how odd I am, and I want to know if anybody else does this. Does anybody, make me feel normal, people. Does anybody else, days after Thanksgiving, eat only plates of reheated stuffing? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I did this at Awaken at the youth group, and they all looked at me like I'm crazy. Literally not a single person raised their hand. Now, let me, I don't know if y'all do this, okay? Here's what I do. I mix some shredded cheese in there, stir it up, nuke it. Now I got cheesy stuffing, and I'm not done. Then I douse it in hot sauce. Anybody? I didn't get any hands on that one. Man, man. You know, God created us to be individuals, huh? All right. I embrace that. Man, I love y'all. I love having fun. Do you know Jesus is fun? Do you know church was meant to be fun? Yeah, good. And we're going to have some fun. Here's what we're going to do. We're getting into John 21. Open your Bibles. If you've got your digital Bibles, a.k.a. your cell phones, I want you to Google John 21. It'll be on that page, all right? I do want you to have it open. I don't care if you brought a Bible or not. You've got a way to find the Bible because you've got a way to find Instagram, all right? So if you can do one, you can do the other. But I really want you to have this open. The reason being uh, is this passage, man. John 21, we're going to do specifically verses 1 to 17. Man, there is so much going on. But before we kind of talk about that, let me recap briefly. Um, we, We only got one more week of John after this. Who's been with us the entire John study? Where are my faithful people at? All right. And if you're not, then that means you're new, and we're so glad you're here. We've been studying John since the beginning of the year, and it has taken us the full year. But I don't know about you. For me, uh, I have really benefited from, from going verse by verse, like really looking at what this is saying to us, um, about us, and then hopefully through us. Uh, but two weeks ago, Ben talked, um, and that's not really worth recapping. So after that, uh, Mark was up. <laughs> ah, he's, one of my, he's one of my best friends. I love him. No, uh, I told him maybe one of the best messages I've ever heard two weeks ago. Ben Lawrence. Um, but what stuck out to me specifically is he, he talked about Mary at the tomb, right? 
And I had never heard this scripture taught this way, which I, was, I left excited, I really did. Because he said, hey, the disciples, the other two disciples, they had seen the empty tomb and that was enough evidence for them, so they went. But it wasn't enough for Mary. And she stayed there, she stood there. And, and I've never thought of it this way. Ben said, hey, she wasn't convinced yet, so what'd she do? She stood where other people had seen evidence. She stayed there. And he challenged us, man, if you if you've walk in a lack of faith, maybe you don't believe this at all, maybe you're curious, maybe, there's, maybe you believe it, but there's levels where I'm not sure about this, I'm not sure about this, I don't know if I trust this. Like, he, he was challenging us, do you stand where other people have seen what you're looking for? And I was so encouraged, like, man, there's areas that I, I have a lack of faith sometimes. Maybe I got some doubt. Am I going out of my way to stand near and around and where other people who have seen what I doubt have experienced evidence and that was so good to me, this, this look at Mary. And then last week, Mark taught, and I'd make a joke about that, but then I won't have a job, okay? So, I, you know, <laughs> and he talked about receiving the life of Jesus. They're both in here, so I have to make, you know, receiving the life of Jesus. And specifically, his talk about Thomas stuck out to me. And he talked about how we call him a doubting Thomas, and we have these other kind of names that we give him. But I love how we tied this in, because Thomas basically said this, unless I see you this way, I'm not going to believe. Like, unless I can stick my fingers in the holes and in your side, like, I'm not going to believe otherwise. Like, there, that's my ultimatum. And he said, how often do we do that to God? We say, if you don't show up this way, I'm not going to believe. If you don't show up this way, I'm not going to follow. And, and he challenges, man, like Thomas, while he was a faithful servant in so many ways, this is something we can't do. Because God's God and we're not. God's going to show up how he wants to show up. But, but you know what was beautiful about this instance? Amidst that, what did Jesus do? He showed up exactly how Thomas needed. So be encouraged in the room that even though God <clears throat> doesn't really want your restrictions on him, he still works with you because he loves you. And that brings us to John 21. John 21. And, and I think one of the reasons I recapped that way is because what have we been doing specifically these last couple weeks? What we've been doing is we've been looking at how Jesus interacts with his disciples post-resurrection, which I think is how he treats us now. Meaning he, he has now done what he was supposed to do. He came and he fulfilled his purposes. And we're getting to see how he chooses to interact with his people. And, and he's that same Jesus today. So what I think we can do as we kind of look into this next passage, specifically we're going to talk about Peter a lot. We can look and say, well, this is how Jesus interacts with them post-resurrection, post him finishing his job. That, that means I can learn from how he's interacting because that's how he wants to interact with me. Okay? Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. Because if we didn't ask God to be involved in this, you shouldn't listen to a word I say. <laughs> you, should, you should leave now because it's a waste of time, all right? So let's ask Jesus to be involved in this. Pray with me. God, you are so good. I, I simply ask this. Would you illuminate something from your word fresh to us today? You tell us you have the words of life and that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So as we read your words today, God, for someone that it's never affected or touched or changed, would it change them today? Your word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing joint and marrow. Would we allow you to pierce us today? Because when we're broken down, you can build us back up the way we were always meant to be. God, I just pray for barriers to come down today that we would leave uh, just excited for the gospel of Jesus, which is the only thing worth being excited for. We love you. Pray your hand over this time. We thank you for your presence because you're already here. And all God's people sang... Amen. Come on now. Ben, you're not singing. 
There it is. I wait for this every single time. I love it. Awaken can always keep it together, I guess because it's a little bit smaller, and they are, like, not incompetent vocally. You know what I'm saying? But you guys are always, like, this side gets way behind. I don't know why. I don't know if the acoustics are off or something. This side's always ahead. Y'all are always behind. All right. It's beautiful, though, man. I don't think, well, heaven will probably sound angelic, but, like, this is angelic to God, I believe. Man, here's what we're going to talk about. John 21, have it open, but but I'm going to just start with this, because if you've read this passage before, even in your Bibles, it probably says, the miraculous catch. Anybody Bible say that? There, there's a miracle that's performed that we're about to read. So anytime God does something amazing, we should pay attention. Now, why this passage to me is is one of my, fa- actually requested this passage specifically, and it's so amazing to me, and things just jump off this page to me, and here's how I'll start this. The, the primary thing that happens for a lot of people is a miracle. So Jesus does so much in here, we're not even going to talk about the miracle. Like, we're about to pull so much out of how Jesus interacts with his people that we're not even really going to touch the miracle, so hopefully that gets you excited for what hopefully God is going to say. So we're going to walk through this verse by verse, verse 1 through uh, 17 specifically. Uh, The first one will be on the screen. So this is verses 1 through 3, 1 through 3. So this is uh, after this, after he's uh, dealt with Thomas and kind of had these interactions. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. We should already be paying attention because the Bible feels the need to tell us he did it like this. Simon Peter Thomas Simon Peter, Thomas, the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others. others I don't know why he doesn't. They, like, the other two don't get named. It's so funny. Just leave them out like that. Uh, they were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Let's just pause for a second. Paint the picture. I'm not going to lie to y'all. I got five points. I'm usually a three-point message type of person, okay? I couldn't stick with three. So if I'm going a little fast, it's because Jesus just has a lot to say. So get your, if your hands are burning, that's okay. It's a workout. The disciples here, let's paint the picture a little bit. They've been walking with Jesus at this point for three years. They've been close with him. They've been, they've been intimate with him. They've been seeing the things that he's, he's doing. And then he, he goes, he dies, and he rises again. And, and they've encountered him, but only briefly. Like, none of them have had, like, a deep, like, one-on-one, like, ah, oh, like, what, what, what's the plan, man? Like, they don't know yet. So, so they're in this kind of place where they didn't know what was next. And it's interesting to me, and the reason we're starting with this is that even though they had seen amazing things and they had left everything behind for Jesus, and, and there are these dudes who we look to as like, man, that's kind of the model of how we should live our lives, right? We look at this right off the bat when they're kind of unsure Jesus isn't with them physically anymore. What do they do? They go fishing. Where had they started? Fishing. They went straight back to what they knew. Point number one, y'all, we just getting right after it. When you aren't sure, don't just go back to what you know. When you aren't sure, don't just go back to what you know. Right, Right back to the place they had met before they met Jesus. They were in the water fishing and they were certain people. And Jesus comes along and says, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. And their lives are changed for the next three years. They drop everything, they leave it. it doesn't, I don't think it accounts a single time in the rest of Scripture them fishing while they're with Jesus. Maybe they do. I'm not totally sure. They might have. I don't know how they ate. But I don't talk about it a lot. I'll say that. And yet here, when they're unsure, clearly in a place where, like, we don't know what to do, they go right back to what they know. 
And the Bible's so intentional. This is why we're breaking this down verse for verse. The next verse says, even further, they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Man, that jumped straight off the page to me. Because how often are we unsure in our faith or the direction that God has for us? So what do we do? We go right back to those old habits. Right back to those old people, those old situations, the things that we've always done. And what happens? We turn up empty again. They went fishing back to what was comfortable, what they knew. And the Bible makes a point to add seemingly an insignificant sentence that says, and they caught nothing. They turned up empty again. They caught nothing. These things tend to leave us dry again and again and again. But it's what we know. We're creatures of habit. And right off the bat, I think we can learn something from this story. And it's this, that the disciples, just like us, are humans. And we have a natural tendency to be drawn back to the things we know drawn back to the things we've always done that that have given us these momentary joys, these momentary securities, these momentary significance or, or significant feelings. And because they felt that way for a brief second, when we're unsure of what's filled us for three years, we tend to just want to go back, even though those things caught us nothing again and again and again. And we learn this from them and we see that that's how they've uh, uh, acted, but we have to learn from them because Jesus is interacting with them intentionally. And it, we have to learn maybe even specifically this, the things that have left you empty will leave you empty every time. The, the, the Bible tells us to stop going to dry cisterns. Why? Because if it left you empty once, why you keep going back to something that never had anything for you? It's going to leave you empty every time, and this is where the disciples were. And we're learning three verses in. They were confused. They felt they needed direction. Anybody in the room like, I would love a little extra direction from God right now. If your hand's not up, you're, you're lying or you're not asking enough. You know what I'm saying? All right? And, and I wonder for me, how often do I feel this pull to go do something amazing, but I'm not sure of how I should do it, and I go right back to what's comfortable. Oh, man. I'm going to go right back to binging some Netflix because then I don't got to think about what God wants me to do. I'm going to go right back to that toxic relationship because it's hard to have a godly one. Oh, man, I'm not going to keep going. I'm getting too much in your business. You know what I'm saying? But, like, we got a lot to talk about. And the disciples weren't sure here, right? That's where we're starting. They weren't sure. And I just, that's okay to not be sure. But they're teaching us what not to do. But they were like, they weren't sure, and they, they knew that they, you know, they wanted something new, they needed something next, and, and Jesus, in this moment, they didn't know it yet, had way more for them than the old things. We're about to find that out. But in this moment, they didn't know it. So family, Grace family, when you aren't sure, let me just encourage you via the disciples, don't run back to what you know. If it's left you empty again and again and again, wait for the next part of the story. Wait for God to show up on the shore like he does here in a second. Are you willing to wait? Are you willing to be patient for what God has for you next? Knowing that waiting for what God has next is infinitely better than going back to what never had anything for you anyways. Come on. Y'all, I came to preach today. I hope you came to respond. Let's keep going. We're going to get into verses 4 and 5, 4 and 5. Very next part, it says this. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Man, take that metaphorically, but also literally. So good. He stood on the, they, they had just caught nothing. Y'all, that isn't even the point, but, but sit in this moment for a second. They had just caught nothing. They were confused. They went back to what they knew, and it says, the very next sentence, Jesus was standing on the shore. 
Oh, that should make you smile. Because if you turn back to that thing again last night that left you empty, Jesus is standing on your shore this morning. His mercy and grace is new for you today. Come on. Come on. That's Holy Spirit because that's not in the notes. Let's go. So what do we see here? Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was him. A different uh, version I studied said they didn't recognize him. So that's the word I, I'm going to use. They didn't recognize him. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they were like, no. <laughs> the implications, y'all. How many times, how many times have we felt convicted about something? How many times, you, you know what it is for you. The thing that makes you feel like garbage again and again and again. That sin you go back to again and again and again. Those people you, you sh shouldn't be around, but you go back again and again and again. And what's Jesus? Hey, you caught anything? He's so gentle. He's so gentle. He's so kind. Hey, you caught anything? Nah. <laughs> I mean, like, so many times, I, I'm whatever, I act a fool, I do stuff I know I shouldn't, and whatever, whatever, and he's just like, did you get anything from that? Oh, no, no, I didn't. So that's where we're at, and he's right in front of them, and, and they're in this place again, confused, lost, no direction, yet Jesus was right there, and it says they didn't recognize him. Question, how often do we think Jesus is right in front of us in our lives, and we don't recognize him? How often do you walk through a day and you're like, God, where you been? He's like, I've been right here the whole time. Are you looking? Do you see me? Because I'm standing on the shore and the disciples at this point had gone back to what they knew. Their eyes weren't focused in looking forward on God in this moment. They had chose to fish. Nothing necessarily against fishing. Obviously, at this point, it's kind of spiritually metaphorical, right? And they're not looking forward to what God has for them, so they don't recognize him. Their eyes had shifted backwards in, in some ways. So my second point is this. You can't recognize what you're not looking for. You can't recognize what you're not looking for. The reason this stands out to me so much is because I felt like I read this and I, I you ever just read scripture and you're like, that's me. Oh man, that's me. Yeah, I can relate to that. And I read that and I can relate to it. The reason being is I, I was raised Christian, but I didn't really get it or believe it, and I personally don't even think I was saved till late in college when God did a whole work. If you've heard my story, I'll tell it to you a different time, but it's awesome. God's so good. And I remember, like, constantly asking God, if you're real, do something. Anybody ever asked that question? If you're real, do something. You ever prayed that prayer? You're like, all right, God, now's the moment. Lightning strike. I need to see it. And then you're really anticipating. You're like, come on. It's not even storming. It's blue skies, but I want to see it. And, and that's where I was at. I needed real answers. I had the science background, so I needed intellectual reasons to believe in God. And then God changed my life unintellectually, because you know, that's how he works. And then what happened? I started to see God in all the stuff that I didn't see him before. I, I'll never forget, I, I was in the smack. It's the student memorial center. God had just recently changed my life, and I was on fire. I mean, I'll talk, I was annoying, probably. I still am, I guess, right? And I go up to him, and I have these flyers for a Bible study, okay? And I'm, I'm hype. I'm handing them out. Everybody's eating lunch. I'm that guy. I was the guy. I'm handing out flyers. I'm coming to Bible study. I come to Bible study. It's great. Jesus is amazing. And I'll never forget a guy I played sports with. I handed one to him, and he kind of was a butthole, if you know what I mean. But he looked at me, and he goes, I don't do the religion thing. And my immediate reaction was to be like, oh, no. Like, you know, it's discouraging, right? It's discouraging when someone, and I'll never forget it. Like, in that moment, I was like, oh, that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity. And what did I see? What would have discouraged me three weeks before? I saw, I saw God. I saw God in it. 
And I just have to ask, and that continued to grow, right, to the point where, where as I grow more and more as a Christian, and this probably is partly due to God gifting me a very upbeat personality too, but we all have that choice, okay? You have a choice if you see God in everything or nothing. That's on you. That's on you. That's on y'all. So for me, like, I, I, there's even in hard times, I mean, I was just sick for a month. I don't know if y'all know that. I was just like, I was in the ER, I was in the doctors three times, they couldn't even diagnose me, it was this whole thing. And I was throwing a pity party at one point. You know what I'm saying? I was sick, I had like 104 degree fever, almost, I don't wanna over-exaggerate, 103.8. And I had like pounding headaches, like I could not sleep, it was miserable. There was a point in time, over four days, I might've slept seven hours, it was horrible. And I was like, the one that I was just mad, I was like, dude, I believe you're a healer, I've prayed a billion times about this, I got a whole network of people praying for me, because I got people who think I'm gonna die, you know what I mean? And one, I didn't get healed, but two, in the moment, he was like, bro, do you know how much I've blessed you with? Do you know how many days you've walked healthy versus how many days you've been sick? Did you get as excited about the healthy days as you are bummed out about the sick days? And in that moment, I was like, man, gratefulness, gratitude. Like, I was just happy. I'm si I got 103.8 degree fever and seizing headaches, and I was happy. You know what I'm saying? Only he works that. Do you see God and things like that? Do you see God now? He speaks to you, right? That's where the disciples are at right now, okay? And they're, they're here, and they knew God. They knew God intimately. So if this is you, and you're in the room, and you're like, well, I think I do this well. These guys knew God more intimately than you, and that's not really your fault. They got to literally do things, but you know what I'm saying. And they didn't recognize him. Even the most passionate believers in this moment didn't recognize God, <clears throat> But, but here's the thing, I think when we start looking, we see him everywhere. We see him in the good times, the joyful times, the blessed times, the easy times, the comfortable times. How about this? That's when all of us like to see God. <laughs> oh my gosh, I did get that new car and you did drop that money I prayed for right in my lap. And my cold did go away a day early, all right, whatever. But we also start seeing him in the hard times. And I would actually argue when you can see the sun in a storm, that's more powerful. When you can see God working when you don't feel it, that's more powerful. And I think this is where, the, like, we can look at the disciples and we're being challenged. Okay, do you see him? Because the disciples had him right there on the shore and they didn't notice it was him. They didn't recognize him. What areas maybe do we need to start? The painful times, the disappointing times, and actually fighting to see God in those times. Because that shifts something. You ever heard someone's story where they just were through the ringer, the worst of the worst, but they talked about how good God was, and you were just like, that's amazing. Anybody? Actually, last night, last night I met someone who, who has four major instances of cancer in their family. Their mother had the, her right leg removed at the hip joint, and she, like, almost died. Her husband had testicular cancer where they had to do major surgeries, and they, like, hadn't had kids yet and had all these aspirations. And then the father's going through, and it's this whole, all these people. And, and they talked about how good God was through it, and I just sat there listening in awe. I was like, oh, my gosh. I've been listening to you guys for, like, 45 minutes, and I don't even want to talk to anybody else. Is there more to this story? Holy moly, geez. It was amazing because they saw God. And, and I'm going to give a couple even examples. In the last 24 hours of people, I've, hey, hey, Bob, do I have permission to share? Can I tell you? Okay, I didn't ask permission. I'm sorry, but it was cool. I was talking to Bob in the lobby a couple days ago, and I asked him, how are you doing? He said, okay. Anytime people say okay, I'm like, all right, let's lean in. <laughs> well, I just okay. And Bob's amazing. You know Bob. Oh. Well, he starts talking about some stuff in life. That's not easy. Some family situations where him and his wife are really pouring in and maybe not seeing the fruit quite yet. 
and there's been an accident in the family, without going into too many details, a motorcycle accident, like probably should be dead, and, and a lot of stuff going on or whatever, and he's talking about it, and, and about halfway through, I was like, Bob, can I tell you something? I can't help but just see Jesus in this situation for a million reasons. The first and foremost is, is you guys are the light of the world in a dark area. I can't help but not look at the dark area. I'm looking at the light in the dark area. And so often, what do we do? We look at the dark area. And, and the story didn't even end there. Well, then Bob starts recognizing, well, yeah, like the accident's really, really, really bad. But like the person in the accident has actually attested that they think Jesus saved their life and, and they didn't have any religious beliefs before. And let's, let's even stop for a second because I think sometimes we get skeptical of stuff like that. And we're like, yeah, but the situation's so terrible. First of all, pessimist, relax. Okay, y'all know who you are, TTY. <laughs> right? And, and, but, but if we choose to see God in that, we can. You know what's way more important than physical health? Spiritual salvation. All right, let's keep going. This is where the disciples were at, right? Um, and we see these instances, and I have some more examples, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into them. I hope you see them for yourself because he, here's why. Because listen, when you see God in a situation, no matter what it is, what do you see? You see hope in that situation. It doesn't matter what the situation is. When God's involved, the, the circumstances are irrelevant. And that's hard for us, but it's the truth. When you see God in a situation, you find joy in that situation. When you see God in a situation, you experience peace in that situation. So for my person in the room, maybe that's here, online, whatever, struggling with faith just in general, let me encourage you uh, that one, he's here, he's always been here, he'll always be there. Maybe you just haven't been looking. I challenge you as the guy you really don't know anything about, but maybe I'm engaging you because I talk really fast and I'm exciting, you know what I'm saying? And you're like, I don't know, maybe I like this, I'm not sure. Let me encourage you, maybe you just aren't looking. Maybe you've been asking for God to give a sign and he's giving you a million, you're not seeing him. He's standing on the shore, the question is, are you gonna recognize that it's him? But how about this for my believers in the room, because a lot of you are. How often do we, we believe these things, but then also we let anxiety or negativity or hopelessness or pain completely control the lens through which we see life around us, even though we believe these things, even though we trust God in, in all this, we let these things control how we act, control how we treat people. And maybe for you, Jesus is standing on the shore of those things for you, but you're not recognizing him. And that's why you're so anxious all the time. That's why you're so negative about stuff. That's why maybe you keep going back to those empty things, those, the fishing where you're not catching anything. And that's not a knock or condemnation because we all do it. It's a challenge that God is there. It's about if you're recognizing him. Just like for the disciples here, he was there. They just didn't see him yet. And they're about to, which is why we're going to continue. So check this out, verses 6 and 7, 6 and 7. Okay, we're not even halfway through this passage, y'all. Y'all, y'all buckle up. I hope you buckled up. You know what I mean? Six through seven, it says this. He said to them, so this is after that, he was like, hey, did you catch anything? You went back again. You went back again. You went back again. Did you catch anything? No. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. <laughs> I love Jesus so much. Dude, he's so great. Because he's like, hey, did you catch anything? He's like almost being sarcastic in a loving way, I feel like. Maybe not, I don't know. But he's like, hey, hey, did you catch, did you catch anything? <laughs> And they're like, no. And he's like, all right, throw the net this way, okay? I've been telling you, like, we've been doing this for three years. Still love you, grace on grace, you know? Cast your net to the right, and you'll find some. 
So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. Yeah, when, ge- when Jesus gets involved, not only does he fill what you've been looking to fill, but he overflows it. Amen? That's how God works. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's, it's the Lord. Like, it's him. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. I actually did look into the Greek of the word stripped, just to see, like, is that important? Was my man naked for no reason? Like, and there were legitimate articles about what it's saying there. <clears throat> it's irrelevant to today, though. If you were interested, it's irrelevant to today. Man, what is he saying here? Let me ask you a question first and foremost. Does this story sound familiar Where my Bible, where my theologians at, my Bible readers, does this story sound familiar? They couldn't catch any fish, so God says, throw your net, and they couldn't even pull that thing in. This has happened before. Let's talk about Luke 5, Luke 5, 2 through 6. Check this out. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out to them, and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, He asked him and put out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, this is Peter, the same dude, two separate stories, context. This is when Jesus first met his disciples. The story we're reading in John 21 is the last time he encounters his disciples. Y'all lean into this. God does everything intentionally. He was teaching the people and he said to Peter, put into the deep And let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Someone say breaking. Only some of y'all know how to speak. That's all right. (laughs) Jesus encounters them. This is so important. Jesus encounters them for the first time and the final time the same way. He meets them and shows them a miracle and they decide to follow him. We talked about that, they drop everything, they're cool. They don't know that they're headed for three years of awesome, but they go, they say, we're going with you. And then three years later, when Jesus' work is done, his followers are now in this place again of being confused, lost, they're wanting direction. And Jesus doesn't do something new. He does something to remind them what he's already done. Y'all, If this is not the most important, it's not. We got better points after this, but, you know, we're just going up. We're amping up one by one. I'm going to say it again. He doesn't do something new for them. He does something to remind them of what he's already done for them. Third point. Sometimes Jesus isn't going to do something new. He's going to remind you what he's already done. Man, this is important. I'm going to tell you why. I think so often we have both unbiblical and selfish expectations of God. I do this because, because I treat God at times like he's just at my whim for whatever I want and need and however I feel, right? Anybody guilty? Anybody, how about anybody honest? <laughs> okay. And, and, but, but I think what this does, okay? So let's say we all can agree at times I, I operate where I'm unbiblical and selfish in my expectations of God, Okay. What that does is it makes us focus on what we think God should do, blinding us to what he has done. When we view God unbiblically, meaning what we think of God and what we want of God and what we expect of God, it does not come out of this. 
and how he, that's why we're studying how he interacts with his disciples. Because then what can we do? We can learn, well, that's, that is available to me then, right? So we're studying that type of thing. But, but when we don't have biblical expectations of God, when we have selfish expectations of God, because when God talks about prayer and he talks about blessings and all this, what does he always say? It, if it's to the glory of God. Right? If it's within my will. He says anything that you pray that's in my will, it'll be given. Not anything you pray that you want in the moment. Right? So, so there's this grounding where God wants really good things for us, but at times we have these selfish expectations that he's going to give us stuff that really he, he's not that concerned about. And what it does, I think, for us is it makes us focus on what we think God should do versus what he's already done for us. And this had to have been, in this moment, exactly where the disciples were at. They wanted a big sign. They wanted this direction map of like, okay, we're three years into this. It's kind of a little late to jump ship. You know what I'm saying? So what do we do? Like, show us. We need something. And yet Jesus' last recorded encounter with them, he does exactly what he'd already done. He didn't give them and this, this is an important moment in Scripture. And he didn't give them some new, like, whatever. He, he didn't do that. He'd done something he'd already done before, and then what did they do? They recognized who it was. The next sentence, they say, it's the Lord. <laughs> it's him. Let me ask you something. Did they need something big and new to recognize it was the Lord? They simply needed reminded of what he'd already done for them. Can I tell you, if you read through Old Testament scripture, Israel, if, if you look at the festivals they have, all these the booths and the whatever, whatever, I'm not, I'm not like super versed in all that stuff. Do you know one of the things that they did in those? Like if you read through Nehemiah specifically, Nehemiah 9, go study that chapter. What do they do there? They spend intentional time publicly remembering what God had done. It was part of their culture to grow closer to God. Not to sit and pray for new things necessarily, to actually spend like intense time publicly recounting what God had done. And what did it do? They did it so it would spur them to keep going, to trust what he had done, to keep moving. And here, Jesus, I think, is just reiterating, because God, y'all, from Genesis to, like, Revelation, it's the same. God is the same. Nothing's changed. And if you really study that thing, the character and heart of God and how he works and what he does is so obvious. It's so obvious. So when Bobby Joe and Jilly and, and you know, uh, just Lauren and Michael Jr. and whoever are telling you the Bible's whack and, like, you know, I can't believe you believe that book, be like, yeah, you read it. Yeah, I did. I went to Catholic school. They didn't make you read it there, you liar. <laughs> that was, like, you know what I'm saying. That's a joke. But, like, my point being, man, it, God is everywhere through Scripture, and it's so consistent, man. We got Nehemiah to saying the same thing as Jesus 6,000 years later. He's like, listen, listen, listen. I'm always going to be doing something new, right? Like it, it says in Scripture, like, I'm always working new for you. But sometimes the new is just reminding you what I already did. What has God done in your life? What's he changed in your life? What blessings and, and, and all this stuff has he done that maybe even in this moment you've been looking for new, and all you got to do is look back and be like, he already did it. Oh, he's already been there for me. He's already worked that for me. I just need to be reminded of what he's done. And maybe what you've been waiting for God to do already happened. That, this was a new word for me as I studied this. Maybe what I've been waiting for God to do, it already happened. But I'm not looking. I'm not remembering. I'm not recounting. And a simple memory of, of how God worked would change my day today. It doesn't mean he worked some new miracle in my life necessarily. 
but I remembered what he's already done. The disciples here were looking for direction. And when Jesus does this, for, this miracle, shortly after the first time, so in Luke, what does he say to them after he, he brings them off the boat? Like it's the famous phrase, I'm going to make you fishers of men. So he says that in Luke 2 right afterwards. In a few verses here, if you studied this ahead of time, what does Jesus tell Peter? He says, if you love me, go feed my sheep. That's the same thing, y'all. It's the same thing. Guess what? Disciples were looking for new. They were looking for new direction, a new word. Jesus gives them the same thing they had told them three years ago. He's, I already gave you the direction. I, I told you, you're going to be fishers of men. You're going to lead this church. You're going to be the reason we're still here thousands of years later talking about it. That's who you're going to be. And in the moment, he just had to gently remind them, okay, then feed my sheep. Cool. You, you're a little bit confused. I get it. Do you love me? Yeah. Then feed my sheep. I already told you. I'm going to remind you because I love you, and I know you're human, and we're the worst, but I'm the best. <laughs> Feed my sheep. We're going to talk about that. The direction they were looking for had already been given, but Jesus just had to remind them. Let him, let him remind you of something today. Let him remind you of something he called you to that maybe you've just let go, something he called you to do that you've gotten passive with. Let him remind you of those people he wants you to impact that you've kind of catered off a little bit. Let him remind you the generosity he called you to that you've kind of gotten stingy with. Whatever, whatever it is for you, love those people that have just gotten really hard to love. And you don't have that fire to love them anymore. Let him remind you of what he's called you to. And let's be people who remember what God has already done so that can move us forward. But if you studied this, and I hope you did, there's a second piece to this specific part of Scripture that to me sticks out even more. And what I want to do is I want to highlight how Peter reacts to Jesus when he first meets him versus this encounter, which maybe was the last time he'd physically see him. We don't know for sure, but at least the last time recorded. I want to highlight the change. The first time in Luke 2, uh, actually maybe that's not Luke 2, but whatever passage it is that Peter specifically meets Jesus for the first time and he does this miracle in the boat. Who knows what Peter said to him? He says he drops to his knees and said, Leave me, for I'm a sinful man. Go away from me. From, from, that's the first time Peter meets Jesus. It is this shameful, like, you're too good for me, you're too far away from me response. Like, I've recognized who you are and how good you are, and that's great, but I, that can't be for me. Go away from me, for I'm a sinful man. But then he meets Jesus, right? He loves Jesus. He walks with Jesus. He spends three years close with him. And this time, the same exact story happens. Jesus comes on the shore and says, hey, drop them nets. It's overflowing. Does Peter drop on his knees and say, go away from me, for I'm a sinful man? It says he hops out the boat to swim to Jesus because he's so excited. This is a piercing difference in who Peter was pre-Jesus and post-Jesus. Listen to this. What had changed in Peter's life? Had Peter's sin changed? In fact, he had more reason probably to be shameful now. Why? He had just denied Jesus three times. Like He, he basically led Jesus to be crucified. And denied him three times. He probably had more reason to be shameful. More reason to be like, go away from me. Because I'm a sinful person. Yet that's not how he reacts. Y'all hear me right now. Peter's sin hadn't changed. But who his savior was did. I'm going to say it again. And y'all are going to act like that's an amazing line. Okay? 
we see the difference between Peter pre-Jesus and post-Jesus. Sin had not changed. He still had reason to be shameful. But listen, his sin hadn't changed, but who his Savior was did. Yes. Y'all know I'm about to make you do it again. That's so exciting to me. You know why? I still have reason to be shameful. I love God. I'm also a hot mess. We're a hot church here, honest, open, transparent. We don't believe the fakery helps nobody. So I'm not going to get up here and tell you I'm perfect. You know what I'm saying? I'm not. God is changing me every day. I can say that. But, he, but every, you know, that's not the point. Listen, y'all. What changed in my life and hopefully your life was never that my sin all of a sudden disappeared. It was that the Savior of my sin became apparent to me. I started to recognize who my Savior was. Peter is right there. I couldn't help but have this just blow my mind. My man, he had just denied Jesus. I, I'm going to be honest. This, for me, I would have been like, oh, no. I didn't think he was coming back. <laughs> That's why I denied. You know what I'm saying? I thought he was gone. And he just... He was so, all oh, y'all, listen, he was so intimate with God that that didn't even cross his mind. How much, what would it take for us to be so intimate with Jesus? And I'm not there. To, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not. Like, what would it take for us to be so intimate with God that even in our most shameful moments, all we want to do is jump out a boat to get to him? Ah, man, I want that. And there's times in my life I've had it. We're like, oh, it didn't matter. Nothing mattered in life. All, he's all that mattered. And I, you, I think anybody can relate to this. I just see the times where, like, everything else creeps in. And there's shame I want to have. And there's whatever, whatever. And he's like, no, that's why I came. Peter, under, for everything Peter did wrong, <laughs> he did this right. And we can learn from him here. I can't help but see these two reactions and just think that's the gospel. That's why we're sitting in this room. Because we were Luke 2, shameful, get away from me, Jesus. And if we want and we choose God, we can be John 21, jumping out boats to get to him amidst how terrible we are. That's the Savior we serve. It's just this, man. Before we knew Jesus, we're broken, we're dirty, we're full of problems and pain. We think even if there was a God, there's no way he wants me. There's no way I can go to that. I'm a, and we say, go away from me because I'm a sinner. I'm a mess. I'm too far. And all of a sudden, that changes to jumping out of a boat every chance to meet Jesus because now we know he doesn't look at us and see sin. He looks at us and says, son, daughter, do you know that about yourself? He doesn't look at you and see sin. He can't. That's why he came. He looks at you and says, son, daughter. Do you ever have those times where you you just, you just, you know you, you chose the wrong thing. You had two options and, and the flesh was just like, yeah, this one today, you know. That's how, that could be how you treated someone. That could be something you're doing behind closed doors. That could be family dynamics and whatever it is. And, and just have this temptation to be like, man, I can't go back to God right now. I can't touch my Bible for 24 hours. It'll burn in my hands. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't pray. Because I'm sure, why, why would we not pray to God after we do something bad? Shame. There's no other reason. There's no other reason. So if you're in the room and you're like, well, I don't know. Well, you, didn't, you haven't read your Bible all week because you don't feel worthy. And yet, Peter, after doing, I think, a worse thing than we've ever done. I've, oh, that's not true. I've denied God plenty of times. So have you. 
Anyways, like he jumps out the boat and he's like, oh, because he understands this. He doesn't look at you and see sin. He can't. He looks at you and says, son, daughter, that's why. Like, hey, I see you out in the boat and I know what you did and I know where you've been and I know you denied me three times and you didn't think I was coming back so you thought you were good. Look, I'm on the shores of your situations here. And he's like, come though. Because I look out there and I don't see what you did to me. I see what I've done for you. Whew. Come on. And that only happens when we meet him, when we walk with him, when we experience him. We see like the depth of his grace, love, mercy, gentleness, kindness, and what was once shame or guilt. And these things is now, hey, ah, oh, you don't see me that way anymore. He doesn't look at us and see that. And Peter, Peter's reaction as we kind of get to the last part of this passage is it's a glimpse into the life-changing power of Jesus. There are a lot of you in the room who have experienced deeply the life-changing power of Jesus, and it looks like this. It looks like this. Because his sin hadn't changed, but who his Savior was, and that changed him. Trying to beat his sin didn't change him. Trying to be less sinful didn't change him. Knowing the Savior changed him. When we really come to know Jesus, we learn these things and we grow in these things. Let me encourage you, if you're just not there yet and you really like what I just said, but you're like, I don't know if I'm there, that's okay, keep going. Peter didn't think he was there until he saw him, until he saw him. So keep looking and we can model Peter here. And there's, there's one more thing, there's one more thing. I got through five points decently quick, okay? I'm pretty excited about this. There's one more thing I want to pull out of here. Again, notice we really haven't touched the miracle. This is all about how God encounters us. Like this, it's so packed full of how God wants to encounter you if, if you let him. We're going to skip a couple verses, 15 through 17. So verse 21, 15 through 17, this is, this is the specific part that I requested to teach. It was supposed to be part of next week. And I was like, Ben, please, please just shift it. Let me have it. Which is why next week he's going to start in verse 18, which really doesn't make sense because it's like dead in the middle of a paragraph. So if you're like, you guys study the Bible weird, it was me. <laughs> okay, it was me. It was 100% me. I was, I was being, anyways, okay. 15 through 17, <clears throat> love this. So they've gone back to the shore and they're like, oh my gosh, you're God. They have, they're, they're eating, they're eating like the, all the fish. I don't know what they're doing with all these fish. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, listen. He said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, okay, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. He said, okay, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, notice, you already, some of you already know where we're going, but notice that. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him again, feed my sheep. Okay, so like some of y'all are like, Phil, this is predictable, but God's still good. Some of you are like, why is he getting called two names in the same sentence? Doesn't make any sense. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter replies, you know that I love you. I, I think this is, this is, y'all, this is what Jesus is doing here, and he's doing it so intentionally. He's saying, listen, I found you one way. In Luke 2, fill in the timeline, when I met you, you were Simon son of John, and I met you in a boat where I showed you that you were empty and I could fill. 
And here we are for the last time. You've walked with me. You've been with me. Yet, you're back at the empty net. I'm going to fill it up and then I have a question to ask you. You know me now. You love me now. Who are you going to be, Simon? Or are you going to be Peter? Because they're two different people. They're two different experiences. One knew the life-changing power of Jesus. It was Peter who hopped out the boat to go see God. It was Simon who said, go away from me. Go away from me. I found you one way, and now that you're a different person, you're going to have decisions to make going forward, okay? I'm not going to be here much longer. I'm about to head out, and I'm going to go be up at the right hand of the Father waiting for you to come chill with me for eternity, which is going to be super fire, all right, whenever that day comes, you know what I'm saying? But he said, before that, you're going to have a lot of decisions in the next whatever, and guess what? You just denied me three times, so I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to condemn you, but what I am going to ask you is three times who you're going to be. Because you're going to have decisions where you can be Simon if you want. You can go back to that shame, go back to that guilt, go back to those empty nets. You can go back to all that stuff. I'm not a cosmic killjoy. I gave you free will. So you're going to be able to do things if you want. But who are you going to be? Are you going to be Simon? Are you going to be John? And he asked him three times, clearly alluding to Peter's three denials. Because he's saying in life there's going to be a million opportunities for you to embrace me or deny me. And for what, what's that look like for us modern day? It's as simple as if someone brings up religion or God instead of backing up because it's, that's too political in the workplace. You're like, well, I got two options. Am I going to be Simon or am I going to be Peter? Ooh, the hard people in your life that are really, really hard to love and you all know who they are. And if they're next to you, just keep looking at me. Make frantic eye contact if you need help. Okay, all right. Chrissy, why are you looking at me like that? Her eyes were... That those people in your life that are hard to love, do you know the number one way we show Jesus to other people is loving people? It's not cramming theology down their throat. It's showing you're different, right? And in, this, in those moments, who are you going to be? You're going to be the impatient person who snaps on them really easy because they keep making the same dumb decisions? Or are you going to be Peter? Who's going to show grace and mercy and love? Why? Because he's been shown grace, mercy, and love. He's asking Peter to the point where the third time, what does it say? It says it hurt him. It says it hurt Peter. Can I tell you, when God challenges us this way, it's not always going to be sunshine, rainbows, and roses. He's going to look into the deep parts of your life, the dark parts of your life, and ask you, who you going to be? And my last point is a question, and it's simply that. Who are you going to be? I think it's as simple as that. That's what God, that Jesus in this moment is asking Peter, because you're going to have choices, you're going to have decisions, you're going to have hard life instances. Simon, do you love me? Okay, then go be Peter. Go be who I called you to be. Go be the direction that I've given you. And guess what? It doesn't stop after one time, because he asks us a million times in a day. Okay, I don't know about you, but I can wake up in the morning and I try to pray this prayer. I say, Holy Spirit, use me how you would today. And then I step out of the bed and immediately my wife makes me mad. And I'm like, day's over. It's in the trash. We'll start over tomorrow. His grace and mercy aren't new this minute, only tomorrow morning. But, but we have those decisions to make. I got to tell you, I've been asking myself this question for about two weeks now uh, since I knew I was going to do this. Um, it's been 50-50 if I've made the right decision or not. But here, here's what I can tell you. Uh, a couple specific instances. One, you know when I ask myself in instances, who are you going to be, Phil? Who are you going to be? The number one thing that I've done more of is dishes. I've done a lot more dishes in the past, like, 10 days. 
My wife might disagree, but she's not recognizing. Because <laughs> I know I've done more dishes. I hate dishes. But let me be real, for two whole seconds, I, I walk past them dishes because I got things to do. You know what I'm saying? I got to get out the house. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got, you know, more important things than these dirty dishes. And I ask myself, Phil, who you going to be? Are you going to do the dang dishes and love your wife? Or are you going to walk past them expecting her to do them? <laughs> and I've done some more dishes. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come on. Give him glory. Give him praise. <laughs> but maybe on like a slightly more serious note. When you're faced with temptation today, can I tell you asking yourself, who am I going to be is a temptation killing question. Because you could choose to be Simon in this moment or you can choose to be Peter. When you want to get angry at a spouse, a coworker, a child, you ask yourself, who am I going to be? Do I want to be the easily angered person or do I want to be patient and gracious? When you're tempted to be anxious about everyday life, who am I going to be? Am I going to be a ball of stress every day that people don't even like to be around because of how tense I am? Or, or am I going to accept the peace that surpasses understanding that Peter was learning? Do I want to be loving or do I want to be hateful? Do I want to be generous? Do I want to be selfish? Do I want to be addicted? Do I want to be sober? Do I want to be faithful? Do I want to be adulterous? Do I want to be self-controlled or do I want to be impulsive? Do I want to be arrogant? or I, Who do you want to be? Who are you going to be today? And Jesus is sending Peter out into his mission, your mission when you leave today. We don't ever want you to just come sit in church and be like, ooh, I feel good. And then you just go do the same things you did the rest of the week. You know what I mean? No. You, you, you should be leaving here sent out on mission by Holy Spirit. And the mission is, man, when you walk out this building, who are you going to be? Who are you going to be to that next person you encounter? There's about, I don't even know how many hundreds of people that are about to leave this building all at once in cars. How many of you are going to walk out of a Holy Spirit-filled service and immediately get road rage at somebody? <laughs> who are you going to Who are you going to be? Who you gonna be? Grace, family, as I wrap this up almost perfectly on time. Not that that matters at all, but <laughs> if you're in here and Jesus asks you, hey, do you love me? And your answer is yes, you know I love you. Then I want to invite you to ask this question both now in this next kind of moment of worship and, and contemplation uh, but also as you leave today, I want you to ask this question. If the answer for you is, yes, I love you, Jesus, who are you going to be then? Fill in the blank of who you used to be. Like old Phil versus new Phil, who am I going to be in the next minute, the next hour, the next week, the next, you know, what, who, 2022? Who do I want to be in 2022? I want you to ask that question. I'm going to pray for us, uh, and we're just going to spend some time in, in kind of like a moment of prayer and worship, all right? Um, but as I pray, can I get prayer team members to just go ahead and start making their way up? If you would, pray with me. Jesus, I thank you that this message for me has been really cool because it's been one where I read your word and you've affected my heart. And I, I just even ask for forgiveness for the number of times that I don't do that, the number of times I read your word just as a book, not as the inspired word of God, but I ask today that for everybody in the room, wherever they're at with this, God, that you would just even convict us in this moment. It says that you asked Peter questions to the point where it hurt. Maybe some of us need you to dig a little bit so that we can leave different. So I pray we would be open in this time to ask ourselves this question, who do I want to be? And the areas that we haven't been, where we've been choosing Simon, not Peter, 
Right now, God, would you just bring it to the surface? Would you help us be willing to talk to you about it? Maybe even come up and confess it to somebody. Because you say when we confess our sins to each other, we may be healed. Maybe there's things that we've been walking as Simon that you will now today want us to leave as Peter. Maybe we've never understood this message for the first time, but we see the difference in Peter and how he was shameful and now he's joyful and that, we want that. God, would you, would you help us be bold enough to talk to somebody about it, to come pray with somebody, to grab a neighbor and to say, hey, I need, I need something. I need you to pray with me. I need you to be with me. Maybe in this moment, we just got to be with you. We haven't spent time with you, God, but we hear this proximity that, that the disciples were able to have, and we haven't been looking for you, so we haven't been seeing you in this moment. Would you help us look? Would you even just illuminate even right now in people's hearts and souls Areas of their life that you're working that they haven't noticed. Whatever it is, God, would you, you know it all. Would you just lift it up uh, for us, God? We love you and we trust you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in a, in a minute or two, maybe a couple more, we don't know. We're, we're going we're gonna to have some worship. We're going to sing a little bit. We're going to praise God. But for the next, I don't know, however long, if something stirred you here, and you need to confess something. You need to confess some Simon stuff because you want to be a Peter. Come, come talk to somebody. If you've got issues, things, whatever, anything that affects you, you've got people here, but, but maybe that's not it for you. Be in your own space. Pray, 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 because you're going to go home and say, well, life's too busy to spend time. Well, here you go. It's here for you. Spend some time with God, uh, and then we're going to worship him uh, before we head out. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.